wonderful, still yet another way to uh, tell the greatest story ever told. It's only one Billy Graham, uh, but then there are wonderful folks like these who have found a way to extend the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, first by meeting the physical and material needs of a, of a very needy population and then winning the opportunity to share the greatest story ever told. And so if this is the kind of ministry that kind of scratches where you itch, it's available to you. It sounds like as Ginger and others were sharing, there are many, many ways to serve. So please find out some more. You'll see a display in the South Foyer before you leave tonight. Thank you so much, Ginger and Margaret and Gala, for sharing with us tonight. Well, we're going to begin our uh, Bible study, uh, but before uh, we do, and maybe you uh, find your, your Bibles, um, let's just talk about what's going on in the world, if you don't mind. I just, I just feel like having some friendly conversation with you. Uh, let's see. The we- let's talk about the weather. Um, as far as I know... Uh, uh, the rain is continuing. And um, I was listening to the weather report, and early this morning, uh, the experts on weather uh, said there would be, as far as they know, a 50% chance uh, of rain. So I guess the, the experts, you know, generally do pretty good based on the very limited knowledge that they that they, I suppose, based upon what I know, I guess, I mean, to the best of my ability, as far as I know, what they know is generally, you know, somewhat accurate some of the time, I think. <clears throat> and now let's talk about, uh, oh, uh, politics. Let's talk about politics. Boy, the political scene, I guess, I suppose, as far as I could tell, is really heating up. It's quite stimulating if you like that sort of thing. Everybody, probably most of you are now running for president of the United States <laughs> as well, signing up on one side or the other. And if you asked me, and don't do it now because we're not allowed to uh, really get too specific, I think, and I suppose that's what the law says. In my opinion, that's as far as I can tell, to the best extent of my knowledge, I think uh, I'm on target, but take it just as that. As far as I could tell, uh, if you asked me, I, I think I know who the Democratic uh, candidate is going to be and the Republican one, but I, I, mean, I could be wrong, of course, because, you know, it's just an opinion, I suppose, I think, and and so I, uh, you know, to the full extent of my knowledge, which is limited, of course, I, I think I know. <laughs> See what else I've been reading. The new- oh, I know Sunday. Sunday, in addition to uh, our, our church time, and as far as I could tell, I, I think, I, I suppose, our, our pastor is finally going to show up. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I, <laughs> I mean, you know... As far as I know, but of course, obviously it's not certain, you know, um, you know, but, uh, but, but in addition to that Sunday, uh, it's the Super Bowl, is it not? And, uh, and, uh, so, so, so you have the Bears and, uh, and they're going to be playing, uh, the Colts, you know, and, uh, uh, say again. Oh, okay, good. Glad, glad for you to get excited about nothing really in particular. <laughs> Um, I actually thought uh, that it would be uh, the Saints, New Orleans Saints, uh, going up against, uh, you know, playing. I was hoping they would because, uh, 
you know, to the best of my knowledge, as I was watching the game, I was really supposing that they had the talent, you know, um, it has been said, I suppose, by many people, in my opinion, that they're the new America's team that, you know, in light of Katrina and so on. And, and I was thinking that my friends in Louisiana, uh, you know, would get quite a boost, a good psychological uplift if the Saints made it to the Super Bowl. By the way, thinking of my friends in Louisiana, as far as I know, they're doing pretty well. Of course, I'm limited. I don't, I don't get to be in touch with them as much as I would like to. But I, I suppose I think, in my opinion, things are going pretty well uh, over there. And if you ask me who's going to win the Super Bowl, you know, I think as I, you know, I'm looking at the quarterback situation. That's where it is. It starts right over there. And I think that, uh, you know, as I look at that, I was listening to the sports report and they were expressing uh, what they knew. Of course, it's limited as well. But in their opinion, my opinion is that just about everything we say is based on opinion and supposition. And do you know these statements I've made? Uh, in horsing around with you here a little bit, I think, I suppose, in my opinion, I guess, to the best of my knowledge, it occurred to me in preparation for tonight, those are statements Almighty God never has, nor ever will have to make. He never has to say, I think, I suppose, I guess. He'll never have to say to the, as far as I know, because as far as he knows, goes way on into the heavenlies. And that's the characteristic of God I just want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. Did you know we were going to talk about? No, of course you didn't know, because you, you, you don't have the attribute God has. Nobody here does. You were just guessing about what would we talk about tonight, but you know God knew even from before time, because he is omniscient. Last week we spoke about the omnipresence of God, which simply means he's not limited with regard to space. Tonight, in speaking about the omniscience of God, we mean he is not limited with regard to knowledge. What a God this is. Again, if you're making the mistake of thinking you're he uh, and acting like it, that, that you're the God of your life and the master of your destiny, I, I, I have more uh, news for you. You're not. And, and one of the reasons, anytime you make the statement, I think, I'm not sure, I suppose, my best guess, you have just separated yourself from Almighty God who never has to make those statements. He knows everything. Oh my, and this is the reason we worship him as we did earlier tonight and as we do with our lives. He knows absolutely everything. Think about it. There's absolutely nothing God does not know. He knows all things past and present and future. And what's more, he knows all things at the same time. He doesn't know things progressively or incrementally. In an instant, he knows everything about everything. Now, folks, it would be hard to imagine a God who didn't have that characteristic. Don't settle for any God less than the one true God, the God of the Bible, who is omniscient. He knows absolutely everything. There's nothing God does not know everything about. He doesn't know something about everything. And he doesn't know everything about something. He knows everything about everything. And by the way, you don't. 
And neither do I. That's why we worship Almighty God. We are not his equals. He's not our partner. He's not the big guy upstairs, and he's not our co-pilot. He is Almighty God before whom we bow because he possesses attributes and characteristics which simply are not ours. They overwhelm us. This is part of the immensity of God. He knows absolutely everything about everything. And Isaiah said something about it in chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. A marvelous statement. There's so many, but here's a good one. On the omniscience of God. It's Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10. And I'll give you a little time to find out where it is. And if you don't know where it is, it's because you're not God. So if you don't know where it is, there are some people who do know where it is, and so they created something called the table of contents. So you help yourself to the table of contents and find Isaiah chapter 46. We just look at two little verses, marvelous, verses 9 and 10. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not yet been done. This is a statement on the omniscience of God. He knows past, present, and future all at the same time. He has never... Did you know God has never learned anything? In fact, he has no need to learn anything. How about this? Do you know God cannot learn anything? He cannot learn anything because he cannot discover anything that is new to him. He knows all things already. So God is not a learner. He's omniscient. Now, because he knows everything already, God has never had to say, I suppose, in my opinion, or I guess so. In fact... Because God and God alone is omniscient, he alone speaks that which is absolutely and with certainty true. Nobody else does. In fact, would you accept this as a possible definition of truth? This is what truth is. Truth is a statement made by an omniscient being. Truth is a statement made by an omniscient being. Now, you and I know, uh, on the basis of what we studied earlier, that this omniscient being, almighty God, made truth statements in the Bible. So it's our foundation. From it, certainty about everything we believe comes because the statements in the Bible are made by an omniscient being. So it is true. You can count on it. In fact, the Bible is the only absolutely certain truth in the entire universe because only the Bible is absolutely the word which comes from an omniscient being, which is almighty God. Can I encourage you to be confident about your reading of the Bible? It is God's word. Now, because he knows everything, he has all the facts. And because he has all the facts, he knows how everything fits together. And because he knows how everything fits together, he can never make a bad decision. 
Now, I know you and I, we're just human and we're limited in our knowledge. So when difficulties come, and they do, that's part of life, losses and pains and suffering, I know we're prone to cry out, oh God, do you know what's going on? And oh God, do you know what you're doing? Well, the answer is uh, to be found in the omniscience of God. Yes, he's in full possession of all the facts. He knows how everything fits together. He does not make bad decisions. Now, because we don't know all that much really about God, and because we don't know all that much really about eternal things, based on our limited knowledge, we call into question God's knowledge. But I'm telling you, he makes no bad decisions. Now, that is not true of you and I. In fact, a good deal of our life is spent on trying to reverse the consequences of our bad decisions. That's, that's just the way it is. But God has never had to say, oh, I made a mistake. I won't do that again. Boy, I wish you had told me that. I would have... Uh, decided the issue differently. No one omniscient being never has to do things like that. Well, Paul one day was struggling with a big issue in life, just as you and I do. And Paul is a smart guy. I mean, when it comes to knowledge, the apostle Paul is is really, I mean, stock full of stuff up there in his head. I mean, you know, he was, he was formally educated, but besides that, he just, as you read the Bible, strikes me as a, as, a, as a smart guy. He had lots of rich life experiences to draw on and all the rest. So he put his faculties to, to bear on a particular issue of life he was wrestling with. All of his theological knowledge and all of his academic training and all of his life experience and his heritage and the whole deal, and he was driving himself crazy because he extended his his mind and his knowledge to its full extent and found out even his brilliant and astute mind came up short and he couldn't figure out an answer to this particular dilemma. It's recorded for us in Romans chapter 11. And then suddenly in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, he moves from self to almighty God and he says this, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. He said, I have exerted myself intellectually to resolve this issue to the full extent of my intellect. And though it may have taken me further than most other mere humans and mortals, still I come up short. But wait just a minute. There is this omnipresent God. He's a reality. And part of the reality of God is for me to realize he is omniscient. And then he broke out into a spontaneous praise in the midst of this almost legal treatise, the book of Romans. That's what it is. It's quite a brilliant defense of the faith. Uh, this very cognitive kind of a guy all of a sudden uh, uh, becomes, uh, well, rather undignified, and not formal at all. And he just breaks out into this song of praise. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He likened God's knowledge to a silver or a gold mine and said, but this one will never bottom out. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He said, I have plumbed the depths of my own intellect and it bottoms out. 
But when I consider almighty God, omniscient deity that he is, oh my heavens, his capacity to know all things is unlimited. You can never reach the end of it. And so he began to praise almighty God as should we. Well, Paul was not the only one who discovered the fact that God is all-knowing. Even in the Old Testament, they did. And so the psalmist David wrote a psalm about it. We referred to it in another context last week. It's Psalm 139. Can I invite you there just for the next few moments? Psalm 139, and we'll begin at the beginning of it. It's a great psalm, Psalm 139. Years ago when I was in the military, I was discipling a group of guys and I was going to take them on a trip. This is just a filler until you find Psalm 139. And uh, uh, I had to limit the number of guys who were going. And so I set up as a prerequisite for going on this little outing uh, that each person had to memorize all 24 verses of Psalm 139 and recite it to me, word perfect. And then we spent the entire weekend, it was in England, we were stationed there, we went to England and we spent the entire weekend just pouring over just this one psalm, two full days and we didn't come close to exhausting its treasures. You'll see some here. Verse one, Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. So there is the omniscience of God. Uh, The Hebrew vocabulary actually says, you have examined me carefully. You have explored me. The word is used elsewhere of a burglar (laughs) who's casing the joint, maybe your joint, taking pains to discern what he's going to carry off, what he could sell or pawn or something like that. It's that kind of close uh, scrutiny under which we are before an omniscient God. David is saying God knows us penetratingly because he has scoured every detail of our lives. David is saying, folks, God has researched us. He has studied us and he knows everything about us. So I ask you a question, but you don't have to answer. Does that make you feel loved? Or uncomfortable. Well, David goes on, verse 2. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. Folks, do you know God can get inside your head? Do you know he knows what you're thinking right now, what I'm thinking? He knows everything. So I ask you again, does that make you feel loved? Or plenty uncomfortable. Verse 3. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. Did you know that you are never out of God's mind? Even when you're out of yours. (laughs) You are never out of God's mind. So the next time you are tempted to sin... You are, I am. The next time you are tempted to sin, could I just tell you that you should remember if you do, it won't be in secret. 
I don't mean to ruin your life or anything, but where are you going to go to get away from an omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent God? You see? Does that make you feel, the fact that you can't get away from him? You, there is no secret life. Uh, ours are, are, are laid bare before Almighty God. Does that make you feel safe and secure and loved? Or does it make you downright uncomfortable? Verse 4, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. He's not surprised by the things we are yet to say, and he's not surprised by anything we do. Do you know nothing we say or do ever disappoints God? What is disappointment? Disappointment is when you have an expectation that is not met. (laughs) But that means your knowledge is limited. You expected this because you're not in possession of all the the facts and you got much less. But that never happens with God. He already knew the goofy things you and I would say and do. We never let him down from his higher expectation of us. He already expected us to do and say the things we're going to do. Now we may uh, be disappointing one another because our knowledge is incomplete, but his is complete. And so he's never surprised by anything we do. So uh, do you feel loved by all that or do you feel spied upon? Uh, Do you feel like crying out, listen, I have a right to privacy? Verse 5, thou hast enclosed me. If you're feeling a little entrapped, this will make it worse. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. So you got the ground here and God's hand up here and he's hemmed you in in the front and behind. I mean, you're like in a box and the box is called the omniscience of God. So does that make you feel loved, attended to? significant, valued, or does it make you feel really, really uncomfortable? I mean, your answers to those questions will tell you where you're standing with God. So in case you're wondering, am I redeemed? Am I adopted? Am I one of God's kids? Your answer to these questions will tell you. Look at these. I mean, if you're feeling loved and comfortable and safe, if, you, if you're feeling okay about the fact that you're enveloped by the omnipresence and omniscience of God, you're probably right where you need to be with regard to God's will for your life. But if you're feeling spied upon and intruded upon and insulted and offended and insecure and unloved, you're probably on the run from God. You probably got something to hide. You're probably ashamed of something you're doing. And you're glad that the rest of us here don't know about it. But I'm telling you, the one who matters most does know about it. This is the omniscience of God. I mean, David kind of freaked out a little bit by all this stuff. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. I think David would say, you know, there's a lot of amazing things about life, but perhaps the most amazing of all is that God, transcendent creator God, who is unapproachably holy and a consuming fire, he who has no beginning nor end, depends on no one for his existence and takes counsel from no one else, he who could speak and it will be, he who existed in eternity past and will in eternity future, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. I think David was amazed that that God knew him 
And that God knows you. That is perhaps the most amazing thing of all about the life this God gave us to live. So does that make you feel good? Or does that make you feel really, really bad? Let me help you here. Try to remember the last time you felt loved. I don't mean when someone said, I love you. I mean when you felt loved. Try to... Try to think, if you can think back that far, try to think of the time when you felt love. Why did you feel loved? What was it at that moment that made you feel the object of someone's love? I'll bet it was this. Part of feeling loved is being known and yet being accepted at the same time. Now, that's foreign to most of us because most of us don't have the experience too often. Can you imagine being in a relationship with someone who knows you intimately? Marriage is supposed to be this, but it doesn't always work out this way. Being in a relationship of intimacy with someone and yet being accepted by that person who knows you better than anyone else does. To be known and accepted in tandem with one another, that just tickles you. You're just a little puppy dog. You're just, you're just, that's what it is to feel. That makes you feel love. So for love to be complete, it seems to me, you have to be known. And you also have to be accepted. So, so, so let's take one without the other. See, if you're only accepted without being known, you know that's just shallow. You know the person who says, I love you. You, you, know, you know, if you really knew what I was like, you wouldn't. So to be accepted without being fully known is just shallow stuff. I mean, those are the kind of things we, we sing. You know, those are the words of country songs. You know, I love my dog, I love my truck, and you too, you know, whatever. I mean, you don't even know me. So, so <laughs> if, if you have a, acceptance, but, but, but the person saying they accept you doesn't know you, you know that's a game. That's not true. But, but, but what if you are known... Fully, but not accepted. The first one is shallow. This one is terrifying. This, is, this strikes terror into any thinking person's life. Oh, my. You know me, and you have rejected me for it. That is a terrifying experience, because if you are rejected, you've got nothing left. All you got is you. So can you see how you need both? Can you imagine being in a relationship in which you are fully known and fully accepted at the same time? Folks, that's the one you and I have been offered in the greatest story ever told. An almighty God, transcendent deity who created the universe but exists apart from it, who nonetheless made contact with it by becoming us enfleshed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And so he became human while at the same time remaining divine, omniscient. Can you imagine being in the very presence of an omniscient deity who at the same time says, I know everything about you and I love you. Here's my favorite word I think in in all of English. I love you, here's the word, anyway. You know what a Christian is? A Christian is an anyway person. 
totally imperfect, but, but loved and accepted by creator God anyway. Christian's not a perfect person. A Christian is not better than anybody else. A Christian is in any way person, loved and accepted by God anyway. So you know what that means, my fellow anyway people? You cannot shake your heavenly father. You can't. You cannot drive him away. He will not be driven away. Try it if you have nothing else to do. You will not succeed because nothing about you surprises him. You may let yourself down and those around you. You may disappoint those around you and even yourself. You may say, I can't believe I did that. And if you're listening carefully to omniscient God, he'll say to you, I believe you did that. I saw it coming. When? In eternity past. But if you saw it coming... Why? Why do you connect with me anyway? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace greater than all our sin. So, so, so folks, nothing surprises God. Think about it. He's omniscient. He knows you yet accepts you. He knows everything about you yet has determined to love you anyway. So you know what this means? There is no skeleton that can come out of your closet as it concerns God. He saw what's in your closet. He's omniscient. You can't hide anything from him. Nothing can come to light, therefore, that would make him turn away from you. See, see, he'll never say, ah, there was that moment in time when you and I came to know each other. You came to know me as your personal savior. I adopted you into my family as my son or daughter. And those were the terms of the new Covenant, the new arrangement. But since then, a lot of things about you have come to light. And I really now need to renegotiate the contract. You see, if I only was privy to these things about you, which I did, I mean, you know, we courted one another and we dated and we had long conversations and you look good to me and I look good to you, but... Boy, I, I just, I didn't know that that was in your past. I didn't know that was your background. I didn't know that was your pattern. I didn't know that's the way you deal with life. I, I didn't know you would cheat on me. I, I, I didn't know you would ignore me. I didn't know you would go long times without having any conversation with me. I, I didn't know. I didn't No. Nothing, nothing, nothing can surprise him. And I love Romans 8. And nothing, in spite of his omniscience, can separate us. From his love, which comes to us through Christ Jesus. See? So I hope you feel loved, my fellow anyway people, because in Christ, only in Christ, you are fully known and you are fully accepted. He knows everything about you and he still loves you. So don't be threatened at all by the omniscience of God, my fellow Christians. Instead, you ought to be comforted. Your situation is known by him. Your needs are known by him. Your past, everything about it, is known by him. Your future is known by him. He is watching over you. Don't be uncomfortable by the full knowledge that God has of you. On the contrary, feel safe. Feel secure. Feel attended to. Feel watched over. He knows you. (laughs) And he accepts you anyway. But if your answer to the question, do you feel loved or uncomfortable... 
Uh, when you think about the all-knowingness of God, if your answer is, I feel really uncomfortable, ah, your fault <laughs> and mine. Do something about it even before you leave tonight. Say, Almighty God, I didn't know you this way. I mean, I knew you as a holy God and I knew you as a judge before whom one day I'll, I'll have to stand and, and I know you're different than me, but I never imagined you being so perfect and you... You, you being so holy, I never imagined that you would have me just as I am and that you know me fully just as I am. I, 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 I never realized that your full knowledge is um, uh, accompanied by your full acceptance. Wouldn't it be foolish to turn from the possibility of a relationship like that? Don't misunderstand what it means to be born again. Don't make it a church thing. <laughs> Make it a marriage thing. It's covenant relationship with a heavenly husband who will not let you go. <laughs> the honeymoon doesn't end with that husband <laughs> when you become his bride. <gasps> oh, no, it's only consummated at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When's that going to be? I don't know. He knows. <laughs> and he's preparing a place for us right now. Don't you see what's at stake? Would you go through life looking for love in all the wrong places? You cannot find an earthly relationship in which you are unconditionally loved. It doesn't happen. You cannot find that kind of relationship in which you are known fully and accepted in spite of it. But Almighty God says, the safest place for you <laughs> is in my arms. The safest place for you is in a relationship of intimacy with me. The safest place for you is as one who's adopted into my family. Become my son, become my daughter. Attach yourself to me tonight. Let the omniscience of God persuade you. <laughs> He's safe. He knows about you. He'll have you just the way you are. Would you permit me to pray as our pastor comes? And maybe, maybe you could get your hearts ready and see... See if they're sufficiently empty that you want to make room on them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, uh, you know each of us here and you know those of us who come to church and perhaps have regularly and, and then you also know those here who have been wedded to you by faith. There's a difference between the two. I would hate to think that some are mistaking church membership for a, a conversion, for, for salvation. And so I pray, Savior, uh, you who know the needs of each here, you would do your handiwork and grant each the capacity, each who needs to, the capacity to see maybe in a very piercing way tonight that there is a need to be enveloped by the love and pardon and forgiveness of an omniscient being whose words alone are certain and true. And here are your words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, the kind of rest that comes from being in a loving relationship, fully known yet fully accepted. We would love Lord Jesus to think that everyone here is in that relationship with you, but we don't know if it's true. You do, Lord Jesus. So would you please have your way with us tonight? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Stuart. I want you to be thinking with me for a few moments. What's your favorite part of the service? 
You know, I think that a lot of us say, boy, I just like it all. You know, it's so good when we're praising the Lord and singing unto the Lord. So good when we hear God's word taught as we do every time Brother Stewart stands here and others that stand in the pulpit to teach God's word. Oh, it's, it's a blessed, blessed time. What's God's favorite part of the service? I think he likes the music when it's sung unto him and it, it, it's about him and it brings glory to him. I think he loves the preaching when it's his word and the preacher is not saying, well, the Lord said, but let me tell you really what he meant, but just rather just say, let God's word. I think God likes that part of the service. But I've lived long enough to know that there's even a part of the service he likes more. than even the preaching and the singing. And that is when somebody's life gets changed because of Calvary. Let me tell you, folks, when we need to get the most excited, when we ought to emotionally respond the most... Every time somebody gets baptized in that baptistry, we ought to almost tear this building down. That's more than a come-from-behind win with a Hail Mary football pass when the Cowboys won in yesteryear. It ought to get more exciting in this place. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? The thing that excites the Lord the most is when people get saved and people just get up and leave when that time comes in the worship a lot of times. All churches i got to get up and go to work in the morning. We'll join the crowd. Well, i got to get home, put the kids to bed, join humanity. We all have that situation. But you know what? Jesus gets real excited and angels are holding on to everything that's about to happen right now when burdens can be lifted thanks to Calvary. When people that came into this building tonight with no hope are fixing to go out because they're going to, they either have or fixing to meet God personally. And the load's going to be lifted or adjusted or strength's going to be given. And a person on the way to hell is going to be saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm telling you, heaven's going to burst out with applause and thanksgiving to God. And bowing down before him. Every time you give a word, a look, and a touch to somebody who walks in this building that's desperate Desperate for love. They've looked for love in all the wrong places and they're just very, very close to finding it tonight and they can find it right now and you can be here when it happens. I'm telling you, it doesn't get any better in heaven than when souls get saved. Always wonderful to see people healed. People get all excited about that. That's great. If I was sick and I got healed, I'd get excited too, but it doesn't compare. To the miracle of salvation and eternal life and to take and put it all together and get in on the joy that God will experience tonight if there would be a recommitment of a life. Someone that used to be warm and got cold in their walk with God would get back and get real close to God tonight and just kind of snuggle up as Buddy says and go out of here saying, Lord, Use me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I discovered that tonight. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you need to join the body of Christ. 68% of all unchurched people.